All right, welcome everybody. We are on 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 14, and we are right in the middle of, uh, and, and we're going to finish it up today, uh, the words of Eli uh, condemnation. So I hope we'll get through the end of chapter 3 here and then see what happens in chapter 4, which kind of extends the, the narrative here. All right, as we finished off last week, um, Yahweh said that uh, you know he, he's he's been reiterating to Samuel what's going to happen to Eli. All right, so in verse 14 he kind of sums it up. Velakain nishbati levet Eli im yit kaperavon beit Eli bezevach uvemincha ad olam. Velakain. Now notice that the lakain here sums up the argument and kind of brings brings it to a conclusion and brings the conclusion. Um, so having kind of talked about what Eli has done and his sons, Velakain, and therefore Nishbati, I have sworn to the house of Eli. Notice that that Nishbati is what conjugation? It's a Nifal perfect. And remember this word only occurs in the Nifal, but it's not passive or reflexive or anything like that. This is just the meaning of the word and the form it takes. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli. Okay? Im yitkaper. Here, im does not mean if, but remember, im also occurs in oaths. And when it occurs in oaths, it's, it means surely not. Okay? If you have im lo, it means surely. So, here it's Surely not yitkaper avon. Notice that what's the root of yitkaper? Kafar, yeah. And remember that means to atone for, to cover over. Here's the the hitpael of it. I think this is the only place that the hitpael occurs. It's usually a pl or a pu'al forms. So uh, the subject is avon. So surely not will the iniquity of the house of Eli be atoned for or be covered over. Now you have a bunch of uh, kind of instrumental uses of bait. By sacrifices, or by, or by sacrifice, or by gift, Adolam, forever. See? So therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli. Surely, the iniquity of the house of Eli will not be atoned for by sacrifice, or by gift, Adolam, forever or ever. Okay? Um, questions on verse 14. All right. <clears throat> Let me see what happens on the next morning. Verse 15. Vayishkav Shemuel at haboker, vayiftach et daltot beit Yahweh, ushemael yare mehagid et hamar'el eli. Okay. Then Samuel lay down from Shakav ad haboker until the morning. Okay. And he opened up uh, the doors of the house of the Lord. All right. So notice that I guess he was responsible for, uh, you know, opening the shades and getting everything ready for the day. So he opened up the doors of the house of the Lord. Now you have this circumstantial clause notice that gives us a little more detail about, in this case, Samuel's state of mind. Now Samuel Yare. Okay. Notice what what does that mean, Yare? Samuel was afraid, right? Mehagid. Notice that here you have Yahweh plus Amin plus 
an infinitive construct from Nagad. And Nagad, remember, occurs in the hip field. And that's what you have, a hip field infinitive construct from Nagad. And notice the Dagesh preceded by the short vowel tells you that the Nun has been assimilated. Samuel was afraid of telling at, uh, telling or reporting the Mar'at, the vision, to Eli. All right, notice Mar'at is from the root Ra'at to see, attach a mem, it becomes a noun. All right, questions about verse 15? Verse 16. Vayikra Eli at Shemuel, Vayomer Shemuel Bani, Vayomer Hineni. Then Eli called to Samuel at Shemuel, Vayomer, and he said, Shemuel Bani, Samuel, my son, Vayomer, and he said, Hineni, here I am. So notice again, you have to kind of follow the logic to see what the subject of the verbs is. Right. Very often, it's not always explicit, but you can tell by the concept. Okay? Verse 17. Vayomer, ma'hadavar sherdeber eleka, al na tekachei mimeni, koya aseleka Elohim, v'koyo sif im tekachei mimeni davar, mikol hadavar sherdeber eleka. And he said, Vayomer, ma'hadavar, what is the message Asher, which deber eleka, which he spoke to you. And notice this again, the subject is understood to be Yahweh. See, what is the message which he has spoken to you? Alna. Notice you have uh, the negative al plus na. What does na indicate? How does it function? Yes, good. It's politeness. Okay. Alna tekacheid. There's a word you probably don't know. What's the root? You can see the root though. Kachad. Yeah. And it means to hide or to lie or to deceive. Notice that this is a what form? Tekacheid. It can be a little deceiving, but it's right. It's a PL imperfect. And you don't have a dogish in the chet because, of course, the chet uh, eats, digests, and doesn't spit out dagashes. So, yekake. So, uh, something like, please do not hide mimeni from me. So, do not hide, and it's, of course, referring to the davar. So, please do not hide it from me. Okay, now notice you have another oath. Ko Thus may God do to you. Thus may God do to you. And in an oath like this, it is supposed that the words are spoken with some accompanying action, like, a, you know, some have suggested, like, you know, you put your hand across your throat or something like that. But he's je- it seems to be, be that he's gesturing in some way. See, so thus may God do to you, and thus Yosef, and thus may he add. Okay, notice that, that the root is from Yasaf, and it's a hifil. It means to add. Thus may God do to you, and thus may he add. So it's something like in English. Um, thus may God do to you, and even more. See? If if you hide from me, davar. If you hide from me a word, or maybe in English, if you hide from me one single word from um, all the message which he spoke to you. Okay. Good, that was kind of a long verse. Any questions about any of the forms in verse 17? 
I'm noticing reading that as if you follow the uh, accents and where the pauses are, you can kind of feel, figure out pretty easily how the thought's going. All right. So notice Samuel has to tell him he didn't want to. And verse 18. Vayagad lo Shemuel et kol hadevarim velo kiched memenu vayomer Yahweh hu hatov be'enav yaaseh. Okay. Vayagad. What's the root? Good. From Nagad. And he reported to him, namely Samuel, and Samuel reported to him. Again, notice the word order. This is typical in prose when you have a short preposition. It's usually verb, short preposition, then subject. And here's typical. Um, so Samuel reported to him, et kol hadevarim. All the words. Okay. Velo, and not kikade. Now you guys know the meaning of this down. You got it down good now. It's the third time we've seen it. And he did not hide anything, of course, nimenu, from him. Okay. By Yomer. Then he said, now notice he's, we're switching subjects, but you've got to kind of get it from the context. It's Eli. And he said, Yahweh is he. Uh, in English we'd say, he is Yahweh. Hato, that which is good, the good thing, Be'enav, in his eyes. Notice that the kare, the pointing there, has plural. They want you to read plural eyes. The consonants, if you don't even, just don't look at any of the um, vowel markings, you'd run to read A-no. See, if you just take those vowel markings out, cover them up, you'd read A-no, his eye. But there is another tradition, they want you to read A-nav. See, so the good thing in his eyes, Yaaseh, he will do. Okay. Questions? Okay, good. Okay, so now we have the summing up again, kind of very similar to what we had uh, earlier. Vayigdal Shemuel, Vayahweh Hayatmo, below Hippil Mikol Devarav Artsah. And Samuel Yigdal, he, he grew. Okay. And Yahweh Hayatmo, and Yahweh was with him. Notice that that's another circumstantial clause, you know, um, uh, gives the circumstances of the main verb uh, Gadal. So Yah- Samuel grew up and Yahweh was with him. And he did not hippil. You guys know the root of this? Nafal. Very good. It's a hippil from Nafal. Again, the nun with the silent shva under it is assimilated. And he did not let fall. That, and namely uh, Yahweh. And he did not let fall from any of Devarab of his words to the ground. See, so Yahweh was with him, and he did not let uh, did not let fall did not let any of his words fall to the ground. Is probably how you put it in good English. Namely, whenever Samuel made a prediction or was prophesying, it came true. That's how they knew that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. Okay. Um, so in here, verse 20 kind of says that. Vayedako Yisrael midan ve'ad ve'er shava ki ne'eman shemuel le'navi la'yahweh. And all Israel knew from Dan and unto Beersheba. Dan was way in the north, Beersheba in the south. That ne'eman. Okay, see the root there? Ne'eman. What's the root? 
Aman, good. And this is a nifal participle. Remember those passive uh, Hebrew forms, nifal, huol, kafal participles, but especially you'll see it in nifal and uh, called passive participles or adjectival. Okay? So they all knew that trustworthy was Samuel as a Navi, as a prophet of Yahweh or to Yahweh. Okay? Questions about verse 20 in the forms? Good. Verse 21. Va Yosef Yahweh leheraot beshilo. He nigla Yahweh el Shemuel beshilo bidavar Yahweh. Okay, here I mentioned this last week. I just want you guys to see and uh, tell me what you think about this. Va <coughs> Yosef. Notice that there's our famous Yasa Hifil again. Literally, Yahweh added to heraot. See what that is? Notice that with the lamet in front of it, you should be thinking infinitive construct. The comet's under the resh, and the he in front of you tells you it's what conjugation? Nifal, infinitive construct. So if the call is to see, the nifal is to appear. Yahweh added to appear. But notice here, when you see this kind of construction, which we've seen before, you just translate the Yosef as an adjective, something like continually. And Yahweh kept appearing, or continued to appear. Alright, everybody see that? Literally, Yahweh added to appear, but Yahweh continued to appear in Shiloh. Ki nigla Yahweh, for Yahweh, here's a nifal from Galah, nifal perfect, for Yahweh <coughs> revealed himself, I, I'm translating it as reflexive, okay, revealed himself to Samuel, at Shiloh, at Shiloh, Bidvar Yahweh. Okay, now notice you have here the bait. What, I'm, what is interesting to me about it is this, this little phrase. Notice that earlier in chapter 3, when, when Yahweh appeared to Samuel, it seemed to be a very physical appearance, right? When the word of the Lord came to him. And here we have again the Yahweh, it says, continued to appear to him in verse 21, and now he appeared to him in the identity of the word of the Lord. See, notice you can, you can interpret this bait as a bait of identity. Uh, namely, it explains uh, another noun in the clause. So he appeared as the word of the Lord, which, from our perspective at least, is very suggestive that when it talks about the word of the Lord coming to someone that we're talking kind of as a uh, more kind of a physical, substantial appearance rather than necessarily just a dream or a voice in your ear, something like that. Now that doesn't mean every time the Bible describes this kind of thing that that's what it means. But notice here how it seems to be almost a, uh, sub, you know, a uh, person coming. You see what I'm saying? So that from our perspective, that makes an interesting parallel to John 1. You know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, and uh, maybe an interesting connection. If you will notice the textual um, corrections there, many manuscripts, uh, rather than the bait, have a cough there. Because, of course, the bait and the cough can very easily uh, be mixed up. So he appeared as the Word of Yahweh. Um, uh, but it, it's just kind of an interesting 
thing to think about, is that what the author's trying to say or not? And I'm not going to go to the wall that it is, but uh, from our perspective, it, it's an interesting way of putting things. Into, yeah. uh, is there any correlation with like the Moloch? Well, see, yeah. In other words, in the yeah, that's a good question, actually. In the Old Testament, you have a number of visible appearances, and the Moloch Yahweh is a big one because... Remember, he's called the messenger of Yahweh, but in those same contexts, he's also kind of worshipped as Yahweh. He brings the word of God as Yahweh. And so our early church fathers have traditionally interpreted that to be the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, right? Um, and so maybe this is another indication of the same thing, so that when the word of the Lord comes to someone, uh, maybe we should think in those terms, like the Malak Yahweh. Okay. Um, you have, you know, the pre-incarnate. Some suggest that Yahweh, who was in the pillar above the uh, ark, of course, was the pre-incarnate uh, Yahweh as well. You know, so you have you know, those kinds of issues uh, that uh, seem to be the case in certain certain texts. Okay. And and that makes good sense with what happens in the New Testament. Then. Uh, where Christ comes in the flesh uh, and he's the one who makes the Father known uh, as a you know, true man and true God in one person. Okay? Good. Any other questions about that? I'll leave you that little theology chunk to think about. Uh, we go on to verse 4 and we start that here's a kind of a tragic event in Israel's history. Kind of really... Uh, Something real bad here. Vayehi devar Shemuel lekol Yisrael. Vayetze Yisrael lekrat kelishtim la milchama. Vayachanu al ha'even ha'ezer upelishtim chanu ba'afek. Okay. The word now the word of Samuel was to all Israel. All right. Now notice there's a gap in the text because we don't know what the word of Samuel was. It just kind of following up the previous chapter that, that uh, Samuel didn't or God didn't let a word fall from Samuel so they all knew he was a prophet so the word of Samuel went to all Israel and you're, you're inferring that he told, it told Israel to do something because notice what happens in the next phrase and so Israel Yetzeh went out to meet the Philistines for war Notice that the gap is, what did Samuel tell them? And I guess the inference is that he told them, hey, go out and fight the Philistine. But it's interesting because, of course, they meet with defeat, which kind of puts in tension what it said in chapter 3, that nothing fell from Samuel's lips, see? So God has these other purposes in mind, other things that are happening, and, of course, it's the uh, judgment he's going to carry out on Eli's house, which is what this is all about. So... uh, Samuel, so Israel went out, Likrat. Notice that that's from what root? Kara. This is an infinitive construct. The most common meaning of Kara is to call out or to name. But there's another meaning it means to uh, meet or to occur or to happen. It's spelled sometimes with an Aleph, more commonly with a He. So here it's that meaning. So uh, Israel went out to meet the Philistines for the purpose of war. No, it's the Lamed for purpose here. Vayachanu. Okay, what's the root of Yachanu? It's been a hard one. From Chana, to camp. 
and they camped all at Ha'evan Ha'ezer, at the rock, the help. Um, most translations will just translate it, transliterate it, Ebenezer, stone of help. Right? And the Philistines, Kanu, camp at Afek, another place name. Right? And there's several places in the Bible refer to it. Alright, now, verse 2. Vayarku pelishtim likra Yisrael, vatitosh hamilchama, vayinagef Yisrael, lifne pelishtim, vayaku ba ma'araka, vasadeh, ke'ar ba'at, alafim ish. Okay. This, the root is arak. Everybody see that? And they, and, and arak means to order or to arrange. If you're going to arrange wood on a fire, then you can use this verb. Um, if you are arranging your troops for battle, you can use this word very commonly, and that's what they use here. So the Philistines arranged themselves. See, they, they got ready for battle is what it means. To meet Israel. Right? Now, vayitosh. Here's a difficulty. The root is natash, which means to leave or to forsake. All right? Um, and so, and the war left. Is if, so most people substitute uh, and uh, um, put it, have a different root here, even though there's no textual note for it. So you'll see, like most translations, the war spread or something like that. But it could mean something like the war forsook Israel. In other words, stuff got out of hand. I think that's the point. That they lost their handle on it. Um, because it means things went bad, as you'll see. Vayinagep uh, Israel, and Israel nagah means to hit or to strike. But here you have the nifal, va consecutive uh, nifal, third masculine singular. Is and Israel was struck, was hit, lifne before the Philistines. Vayaku, again another word for to strike or to hit from. Naka, a hip feel, and they struck uh, in the ma'araka. Okay, notice the same root, arak, adamem, and it becomes a noun. So you can even figure this out, even if you've never had seen the word before, it means battle line. See, and they struck, namely the Philistines, at the battle line in the field. Okay? Um, Ket arba'it, about. Now notice the form here. Arba'a is four, right? So what form is this? If arba'a is four, what's arba'at? This it still means four, but it's the construct form. And remember these, uh, the numbers three through ten before the tha- before they come before the word thousands are always in construct. So four thousand. And notice you have ish. Uh, as I've said before, the noun that uh, these numbers modify when it's common nouns like man or son or something like that are singular, and that's what you have here. So they struck at the battle line in the field about forty thousand men. Okay. Um, good. We better quit there. So you guys can get to class, and we'll take it up at verse three, right, kind of in the middle of the battle, and see what happens. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Do you know offhand um, when the battle's going well for Israel, what kind of idioms are used? Or is there any kind of oh, uh, they make they cause to flee. 
or they'll use they struck the enemy, that kind of thing as well. Yeah. And uh, if we go far enough in Samuel, I think we'll probably see some of that too. Oh, thanks goodness.